Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, once again, sitting in the safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. Thank you. Oh, not too much. Uh, you know, it get, it's getting very, very busy, Manny. It's, uh, it's, it's one thing after another. Every day I have to really really uh, uh, plan my time out to fit everything in. But, you know, I, I did have a, right after we, we uh, recorded the last podcast, the next morning I got up and uh, I had a, uh, a, a traffic camera ticket that I was going to dispute. Now, I wasn't even planning to dispute it because uh, I really didn't have any, a, a leg to stand on, in, 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 except my son said, look, it's your civic duty to just put a monkey wrench in the works, you know, just go down there and take up their time, if nothing else. So I figured, okay, well, I'll do that. So, uh, you know, I had some bullshit I was going to tell them, but uh, I got down there and, and signed in, and the, uh, the city attorney comes out and he goes, Hey, look, man, we're just going to dismiss this, okay? So just come back here and and uh, sign the paper, and, uh, and and we'll be done. So that was it, man. Just just for showing up. Well, they say you know in life, uh, you know, showing up is ninety percent. In this case, that's all it took. Uh, they it was a hundred and ten dollars. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Because the city's broke right now. They think they'd want to. Uh, get as much money as possible, milk as much money. And, and, and you think, I guess maybe they ran out of cassette tapes. Well, no, know? they had they had the cassette tape there. You know, yeah, we're we're you know on the the cutting edge of technology, uh, and and uh, yeah, they they the the guy did swear me in, and they had the cassette tape running, and then he said, uh, well, uh, as it turns out, since you didn't have to say anything, we really didn't need to sh- uh, swear you in after all. But so then they. They, I signed the paper, and as I'm walking out, they, they, the, the guy, the witness, and the city attorney say, uh, well, look, uh, don't go tell everybody that uh, you kicked our ass, okay? And I said, well, I do, huh. have, a, I said, I do have a podcast, so uh, and I gave them the line, I fought the law, and I won, and they both cracked up. So, you know, they're keeping a good sense of humor down there. Well, yeah, I get that's I, that. You, yeah, yeah. You didn't have to put anything. You didn't have to bring photos or anything. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, the city is broke as far as I can tell, and and, and yet they're letting uh, uh, guys like you off. Yeah, you know, um, you know uh, I'm thinking maybe the 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 camera wasn't uh, hadn't been properly uh, calibrated recently or something. You know, that's that's our theory. Well, you know, when you when you when you when you get those uh, uh, violations from the camera tra- traffic cameras, they they it, it's so bull it's because like, they always say on or around a certain date. Right, right. I can't give you an exact date or time when this happens, which is such bullshit. You know, it's like, well, you know, uh, I guess I was there. You know, so anyone can fight that, really, if they want to. If they can't prove to the, to the exact time and date that you're doing this. I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand why everyone doesn't win. Yeah, well, it's all timed. I mean, they, there's a time stamp on the thing they send you, so I don't know why they use that language. I guess they just keep it broad uh, in case anybody wants to uh, to dispute that. They say, well, that's why we say on or around, you know. it's uh, So, anyway. When so you that get elected, Manny, uh, look into this when you get elected, Manny. 
Well, the, the current mayor said she was going to get rid of the traffic cameras. And then after she was elected, she, she was, got cute about it and said, well, uh, I got rid of some of the traffic cameras. I didn't say I was going to get yeah. rid of all the traffic cameras. Like, oh, Jesus Christ, man, really, we're doing Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still, if I'm elected mayor, I'll get rid of the traffic cameras, but I will put up jaywalking cameras. Okay. Anyone who jaywalks will get a ticket. Well, everybody jaywalks in New Orleans. Yeah, well, yeah. I know. Uh, we'll have a, a photo, a facial ID. <laughs> oh, That's how we'll do it. Going, going real, but, uh, uh, real, real uh, authoritarian. Big there. brother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going real big brother there. Because I, I have two big brothers. And they don't really care for me too much. No. So. Anyway, anyway, uh, Everything's okay. You're very busy, you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homes. Well, well, we have uh, you know the festival season is coming up, so you know bands are are you know just just handling the the bookings that people are calling. That's that's takes you know a, a, a secretary uh, uh, you know just just by itself. But then you know doing these rehearsals, and I'm preparing to go out with uh with uh, the iguanas and kevin gordon on this tour through the midwest so i'm having to learn a bunch of material for to back up kevin gordon on on all of his songs and uh just a lot of stuff and then actually today yeah, i was kevin gordon, he was he was in sonic no 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 the, this is uh oh. kevin gordon he's a singer songwriter from monroe uh based out of nashville nowadays terrific uh songwriter man really good guitar player too i was i was uh you know learned some of the stuff yesterday i was thinking man this guy plays like fucking guitar slim man he's got that that same kind of overdriven uh you know fat string tone plays a lot of uh major thirds on a on the blues you know it's it's cool so i'm, I'm looking forward to that um but again i was in a rehearsal today with uh loose cattle michael Servus, and kimberly k our former guests and and uh also uh, uh rurik noonan, noonan uh, a whole bunch of former guests and we have this big gala coming up this uh this saturday so we're having a rehearsal during the middle of the rehearsal uh, another former guest len drury is texting me uh, to see if I could play tonight. So when I get done with this, I have to pack up and and go over to Frenchman Street and and play it at uh, ten thirty with with Len on Frenchman Street. So oh wow, well yeah, they're trying to get me back to normal. Yeah, no, I'm trying to get me back to normal. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. Ha I'm happy to be busy. It's just uh, you know it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. So so how are you, Manny? Oh, I, I'm you know I, I am who you know who I am. I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm concerned about uh, in uh, the Ukraine. It's uh, taking all my focus right now. I, uh, it's really horrible what's going on. Oh yeah, man, terrible. The guy Putin. Yeah, and, and I saw I, I read today where uh, this Putin guy he's such a jerk. Uh, he uh, uh, in Russian television. This is what they're doing, the propaganda in Russia for their citizens. Russian TV says that their Russian troops are defending Russians against Nazis. Right. And Nazism. Right. That this is what they're actually quoting in Russian TV, that, you know, that, that, that we're bringing down the Nazis. Right, know? right. The president, <laughs> president of Ukraine is a Jewish guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and so and, and uh, you know has a lot of uh, uh, you know Holocaust victims in his family. So yeah, yeah, they're 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 the Nazis, and and uh, yeah, the the Russians are, are are saving the world from Nazism once again. Right. And 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 of course, uh, the only thing the world's doing right now is trying to do economic uh, uh, stuff against Russia to uh, bleed them dry. You know, so McDonald's closed, and I saw I read something the other day that. The Russian people are are more upset that McDonald's is closed than getting rid of the Nazis. Yeah. So, well, my son, so. my son was saying that Adidas pulled out too, and he's saying, "Oh, well, what are the Russians going to do without tracksuits, man? That might be the thing that uh, that that really brings them to their knees. You know, they they love those fucking tracksuits." Uh, well, so do I, but um, <laughs> okay, uh, but. Uh, they, uh, they love to track McDonald's and Adidas and Puma and Netflix is also uh, pulling out of Russia for right now. And, our, our, and uh, you know, our country is, you know, not going to get their oil anymore. We don't want your oil. So I think that's kind of a good thing because I think um, uh, we need to untap some of those wells that we've had closed for a long time. And it's going to upset a lot of Greenpeace people, but got to do what you got to do man because this guy putin man he's he's crazy going nuts man yeah 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 it's, yeah. it's, it's a problem man. i'm trying to avoid uh, world war three here but uh it's, it's a mess for sure well did you know renee right now did you know in our world today not there's 27 wars going on right now in our world hmm yeah i didn't there's know there's 20- that many i know there's always a few you know conflicts brewing uh you know, all the time. There's 27 wars going on in our country, and I don't want to go down the list. But what I do want to talk about is that, you know, I, 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 I'm really involved in this because, you know, uh, it's, it's crazy going nuts. But uh, they always report uh, from the Situation Room, mm-hmm. from the Biden Situation Room or uh, Canadian presidents. And I'm thinking to myself, because we're, we're, we're actually in the market, my wife and I are thinking of getting a, a, doing another edition. So I'm thinking of doing a situation room. I okay. want to get a situation room in our house. Okay, just in not a man cave. Uh-huh. Not a man cave or anything, just a, a, a situation room. I don't know if that's a, if that's a bunker of some sort, hmm. but I think it'd be fun to have one. Well, you do have call. a lot of situations from time to time, so... Yeah, I, I well, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, expe- speaking of situations, you know, um, uh, just recently I was traveling and uh, I was on a plane and I got arrested on the plane. Sex on the plane? Did you know that? No, no, I, you failed to yeah. tell us about that till now. Yeah, no. Well, I, had, I was having sex on a plane and I didn't mind being arrested, but I just felt bad for the passenger sitting in the middle seat. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, that's never a so, good seat, but it sounds like this time it was uh, worse than usual. Yeah, it was bad for that guy. Um, um, you know, so anyway, uh, that, <laughs> that's uh, that's been going on. And, you know, it's, you know, you talk about it, the seasons and of course down here in New Orleans, they have to have a fucking season for everything. Right, we're, in the, we're in the Lenten season. We were talking about last, last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the festival season mm-hmm. and all that bullshit season, sure. you know, um, but also, you know, there's, a uh, uh, um, uh, there's the, uh, I saw the award season. There's tons of award shows out right now. Right. 
and I don't know, and I don't know if I talked about this before, but there's tons of award shows going on. You know, there's because they're they're building up to the Oscars. You have the uh, the uh, uh, SAG Awards. You have the Country Music Awards. They have all these awards. Mm-hmm. And I was clicking the channels, and uh, I was on uh, the uh, uh, the Writers Guild Award. You know, for writers in Hollywood, which without the writers, you wouldn't have any of this shit. Right. But uh, and uh, all these award shows, uh, they for some reason they do tributes to uh, uh, people who have died in the last year. Right. Now right. That, yeah. yeah you know, in, they, in memoriam. Yeah. 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 In memoriam. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, being Hollywood, Hollywood is such a backstabbing place and all that kind of stuff. They should actually have a tribute to people who should have died in the last year. Okay. People we wish who had died. Yeah, who uh-huh. wish had died, you know, in the last <laughs> year. But uh, so, but, uh, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to take that recommendation. But I think that would be hilarious, you know, people who should have died in the last year. You know, and there's, you, you're in the music business, you know. You know, there's a probably probably a lot of people you think, well, this motherfucker should have died last year. Right, right, yeah. Well, you know, maybe we can uh, add that as a as a, a segment going forward in the in the podcast, Manny. People, we oh we, yeah, you know, my my list is uh, huge. Right, right. Because you know, this week we actually I wasn't going to mention this, but since you brought it up, we lost uh, tragically. We lost great drummer Kevin O'Day night before last. The original drummer in uh, Royal Finger Bowl. Um, I'm I'm not sure if you cross paths with Kevin, but he's great drummer, super sweet guy, universally loved, younger than us. And uh, you know when when people way younger than you start passing away from you know diseases or, or you know maladies you associate with with old age, you're getting old, man. <laughs> so that's tough, well, man. Yeah, we're old, man. That, that was a, that was a tough. I don't one. know who this Kevin O'Day is. I don't know. I yeah. only know people who oh, you know, who owe me money. Right, um, right. I'm, but no, I he, don't know who he is. But yeah, yeah. He, he was a good guy. Uh, you know, a good close friend of a, of a lot of people. You know, great jazz player great rock player funk played with like a lot of different people uh you know john mooney uh played with uh glenn styler in the the original uh backing band of of his and uh you know jonathan frey like a lot of our former guests were uh you know very close friends and and uh, associates anyway uh yeah maybe we can add that in as a uh, as, as a segment uh, sometime going forward i'm sure it'll be a, a popular one people making and uh, write in and, and add oh, their own okay names. well i i uh, well I, I i i i'm ready for that but you know what uh we're we're uh you're uh you're busy uh, it's post mardi gras and all that and uh the the numbers have just come out uh from our city on um those two weeks of Mardi Gras and there's some good news and, and there's bad news hmm. um, the good news is that the numbers for those two big weekends you know what I'm talking about right? Um, those two big weekends of Mardi Gras this is what the city is um, that there was 125 arrests hmm. only that seems low I, yeah yeah yeah, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty low too. Um, you know, our police force is handicapped. I mean, but then again, the state troopers were down here those two weeks, and the FBI was down here, and the CIA was down here, and the KGB was down here. Uh, <laughs> All uh, hands on deck. Yeah, you know, yeah. 
And then apparently they, uh, they removed 52 guns from people, people just carrying guns. Yeah. You know, think yeah. they removed 50, uh, to, which I guess is good. Get those guns off the street. I hope they, you know, would have gotten more cause I don't like guns at all. Right. Um, um, but then the bad news is, is that in the two weeks of Mardi Gras, there was over 28,000 911 calls made. That seems over like a lot. <laughs> yes, over 28,000 911 calls were made. And um, they didn't give a number on how many, that, how many of those calls were, had an actual response. You know, because uh, there's really no cops right now to enforce anything because um, uh, we're short, at least, you know, the, the usual is we have 1,750 cops, the police, you know, half a million people. Mm -hmm. And right now the number is about 1,250 of, of okay, cops. So, so the but 28,911 calls. Right. And, and for, yeah. uh, for uh, 26,000 of them, the response was, what do you want us to do? Well, that's it. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, and, and it's it probably the operator's like, you know, I'm watching my soap. Don't bother me. Yeah, I'm in the middle of my program. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, right. exactly. You know, and so I guess it was a good Mardi Gras, I guess, for people. You know, uh, there were some people that thought we were a couple. Yeah. Um, and, um, but the, she, the day after Mardi Gras, our, our fearless mayor... Uh, lifted the mask mandate and um, I guess it's good for the people and stuff like that. I'm still wearing my mask because like public enemy said, I can't trust it. Um, you have it on right now in your house, right? <laughs> yeah, in my situation. In your situation. Room, your situation. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but uh, it was so funny how these masks has affected so many people and even me. Um, today at my job, you know, I work with a lot of students, mm -hmm. and there's this uh, one student worker. She's part-time. She maybe works 12, 16 hours a week, you know. She's trying to earn extra, a little extra cash. And the whole time that I've seen her while we've been working together, she's had a mask on. And um, today, I didn't know she was on the schedule to work today, but she was on the schedule, and I... I came back from my lunch and I was at my desk and, and um, this girl comes up to me and says, hey, Manny, uh, what do you need me to do today? She's actually a very good worker. Um, and I looked at her because she didn't have a mask on. And I looked at her and I said, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I said, who are you? Because she was hired like in early January and she's been wearing a mask. Working maybe twelve hours, sixteen hours a week, coming in, doing her job, wearing a mask, and first time you've seen her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, well. <laughs> I was like, I was like, who are you? <laughs> well, uh, so, well, from what I heard, they're they're actually uh, they're they're saying that uh, yeah, they they uh, they lifted the mask mandate, but they said they're keeping it for uh, ugly people. Because uh, you know, uh, they say well, uh, you should put yours on. Then. Well, uh, yeah, I, sh I should, Manny. When I leave the house, I will. Because you know, they say uh, you know, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, yeah. We should. Uh, that's uh, enough about us, huh? We should get our guest in here. 
Sure. Let's get him on. Right, right. I'm excited about this guy. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yes, uh, he's, he's going to be a terrific guest. So uh, uh, our guest is uh, a great bass player from the, the fantastic band, The Muffs. He's also a uh, you know, former rock critic and, and uh, L.A. luminary. Without further ado, the great Mr. Ronnie Barnett. Welcome, Ronnie. Thank you. Finally, finally, I, I'm amongst my people. Right, right. Trouble. <laughs> we'll, trouble. We'll, we'll try to get past all that doom and gloom, right? I, I, yes. I appreciate that airplane joke, Manny, though, trying to lighten it up there. Right, right. Well, What's that? He said, I appreciate your airplane joke in the middle of all that doom and gloom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, speaking of three ways, yeah, when, when we were uh, setting up to do this call, uh, I had to merge all of us. And, uh, Ronnie, you were saying, yes, it's been a long time since you were in a three-way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm happy to be with you guys. And I thought you were a couple too. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, it's our it's our, uh, our our old married couple bickering energy that uh, that, that people mistake for uh, for for that. Well, um, well, so Ronnie, as I was mentioning, you're you're from the terrific band The Muffs, and I was going to say, you know, the the first time I ever uh, became aware of you guys, I, I saw you on a, a bill, I think, with uh, like maybe Liz Fair in Chicago, and then I saw you. Uh, y'all some other time with uh, maybe Veruca Salt or, or the Breeders or somebody. can't remember exactly who, but, but I was instantly taken with the band, you know. It was so rocking and, and melodic and, and fun, you know, and, and, you know, not precious, but it was like a really easy band to get, you know. As soon as it was so, you know, that had that punk rock energy, but, but uh, very melodic, as I say. No, thanks for saying that, Renee. Yeah, yeah. No, thank, like we basically played Mercy Beat songs, just kind of revved up a little bit with a, some screaming here and there and some. Right, you know, right. Didn't take ourselves too seriously, you know. Ronnie, are you from LA? I'm not. I, I moved to LA in 1989. So I'm from Houston, Texas originally. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so. Uh, so when you moved to LA, where'd you live? I initially I lived down in in Orange County in Costa Mesa because my brother lived out out here, so I was able to stay with him for a few months before I landed on my feet. And I, I moved out here because me and Kim from the Muffs uh, were a, we became a couple. I basically I basically dropped my life in Houston and moved out here for love. Uh, the great Kim Shattuck, yes. Yeah, like Renee said, I was a rock critic, and and, and I thought that's just what I would do. I, I was like. I get to write. I get to like talk to Sonic Youth. I get to uh, get free records. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I was I was okay at it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, me and Kim, we've known each other a few years. Um, Is she from touch. Houston too? She was from no, Houston she also? from no, no. Kim was uh, born and raised down down Mission Viejo, and then uh, her family moved to Orange, the city of Orange. So because uh, I, I grew up in like. Uh, the Venice Mar Vista area of West LA. Okay. Yeah. I work in West LA these days. So, um, Oh yeah. What you doing there? Yeah. I work, I work in a record store called record surplus. You might remember that place. Uh, I was sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. It's in Santa Monica. Um, store moved about 10 years ago, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've worked in a lot of record stores, but <laughs> yeah. So I, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and and recently uh, th these uh, photos of the iguanas with Springsteen sitting in with us showed up on on social media, and I saw that you responded to 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 that, 
And I said, oh, wow, Ronnie, you know, Ronnie's uh, seeing this. So I reached out to you and said, man, I'm a, a huge fan. And you said, well, Renee, I actually saw you play in Houston in, in the, the mid-80s. Yeah, that, that blew me away, Renee, because, yeah, I knew your name uh, from those. Uh, I saw Alex Shelton in Houston in, in 85. And um, I want to say it was the next year, but it's probably two years later. And uh, I guess, the, and, and, you know, I, I don't take this the wrong way, Renee, but, you know, back then when I was just out of high school, I just discovered Big Star. And, uh, you know, Feudalist Charts was not exactly what I wanted out of Alex Chilton at that point. Sure. Um, now I appreciate those records, you know what I mean? But I, but at the time, I you know, I didn't want to hear Tina Nanu. You know right, what I mean? right, right. Well, you weren't, you weren't alone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, as it turned out, those are the kind of records that Alex wanted to make, which is why, why we made yeah, those. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is great, you know, which, what a great artist. And, yeah, that's great that he didn't, you know, just go back and do... Uh, people would have maybe expected of him, right? So, yeah, I appreciate those records now, Renee. But yeah, I saw I saw you perform. I I I smoked a joint with Alex uh, at that show in '85. He was he was actually pleasant to me. Oh yeah, um, no, Alex was was very you know he has a had a re reputation of being uh, gruff with people, but uh, you know Alex was usually very engaging. You know, particularly if if you wanted to smoke a joint or just you know do something <laughs> you know not not put him on the spot and start asking him why he's not going to record more uh, big star style stuff. You know <laughs> that he, he was probably asking you what your birthday was and telling you what your uh, what the 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 uh card and the deck your your birthday was correlated with and yeah he was super engaging i mean there's no no one more fun to be around than alex you know when he when he weren't he was that time and then two years later when i asked him to smoke a joint he said uh, is this like mexican dirt weed does it burn my throat and we're in texas so of course it was yeah yeah so uh right <laughs> that was that so you were saying uh, that that you you met Kim. Now that was she was playing with the Pandoras at the time. Yeah, she was playing with Pandoras. It was '86. They came through. Uh, they opened for the Beat Farmers, and um, uh, went to the show. I was a fan of both bands, and and just found myself. Uh, I, I met her, and then and then back in those days, I would often drive to Austin and see shows as well. Um, because it was only 150 miles away, and actually a lot of bands would play Austin, didn't play Houston. But uh, I decided just to go the next night, and that's where they played a uh, place, Liberty Lunch, which you probably know, Renee. Sure, yeah. Um, and after the after the Pandora set, me and Kim found ourselves in the adjacent quiet room, and we really bonded as friends. And um, like I mentioned, I had a brother out here, so I came out here for like a two month stay, and uh, tracked Kim down. Uh, they they were playing a place called Night Moves in Huntington Beach. And, uh, yeah, we just started hanging out. It was not romantic at that point, but we just started hanging out, became friends, sent each other packages, called each other on the phone. Um, I don't want to sound like every documentary, but, you know, there was no email then. There was no... Uh, right. You know. Uh, so, yeah, and then when I saw when we met again in 89, yeah, it became romantic. So, yeah. So, but the Pandoras, they, they weren't from L.A. They were like a, weren't they like a no-cal band? No, no, they're they're from L.A. They're from L.A. and uh, it started in that '60s revival scene in the uh, kind of '84. Uh, yeah, with like, yeah, I know the bands. Yeah, all that shit. The Red Cross yeah, yeah. and 
Yeah, Telltale Heart. Bands that wore turtlenecks and swinging medallions had bowl haircuts and stuff. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, yeah, then they went pop, and then they went metal. Yeah, that's a whole nother. That could be a whole nother uh, thing talking about. But. So, so, so you and Kim uh, become a couple uh, now. Now, how did the Muffs get started? Yeah. So, so what happened was we uh, we became a couple. Um, I'm just working on wasn't happy with the direction of the Pandoras at that point. Like I said, they turned heavy metal. Uh, Kim didn't write in the Pandora. She always wrote songs. She had a four-track recorder. She always wanted to play guitar because she played bass in the Pandoras. And uh, basically what happened was she held on for a long time, and then and then Paula, who led the band, uh, canceled tour to Europe. That was They were going to leave in like two days. And um, Kim was like, you know what? Screw it. Screw you guys. I quit. And... Um, I remember the time I'm always resistant to change. I was like, you can't quit, even though they're like playing to 10 people with coconut teaser at this point. And, you know, the band was not really doing that well. So, so Kim's like, no, no, we'll have our own band. And, and, and what had happened was Melanie from the Pandoras had left the band a month before Kim. And uh, she played keyboards in the Pandoras, so, so kind of picked up the guitar. Kim had a bunch of songs. We met a drummer. We were, we were practicing literally like a month later. Um, we practiced for like three months, and we played our first gig in January of '91. And um, so, so, so the talking about the one that was on the north side of Sunset, or the original one on the south side of Sunset? Uh, the one on the north side. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know about the south side. Uh, the original coconut teaser was this tiny, tiny little place, catty corner to the one on the north side. And it used to have some really great gigs. A lot of um, the Untouchables played there. The question, a lot of mod bands played there. But I mean, we were talking about a tiny, tiny little place, and it got so popular that they 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 moved north. They moved to the north side of to a bigger space. But it, uh, there was many, many amazing shows on that time. Outside, was so beautiful. Hmm. No, interesting. I, I didn't know about the original location. Yeah, no, it was it was that bigger version with the. Uh, well, they had that little outdoor space too. They had that little outdoor space where you go smoke and do whatever exactly. you wanted out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, drink those big gobbles of beer and uh, yeah. eat those free hot dogs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and the bills would be like fifteen bands. Yeah, yeah. We'll exactly. Like <laughs> it started like seven o'clock and go till like three, four in the morning. Crazy. <laughs> right, right, nuts. right, right. Pay pay you in beer. Um, well, well, so Ronnie, were, were you in other bands in Houston, uh, before get, you know, before moving to LA? Well, I played, I, I, I uh, you'll find this interesting, Renee. I, I actually, I, I, I was hanging around the record store, my neighborhood record store, you know, when I was 13, 14, I became buddies with the manager and he played bass. Like, so I asked my parents for a bass, like kids don't ask for basses. Right. You know what I mean? They want to play guitar or drums sure. or, you know. So I asked uh, for a bass, and, and my father gave me a, uh, for Christmas, got me a, this in 78, uh, I got a Fender Precision bass. And, and that very bass is the same bass I played throughout my whole career. Like, I never, I made it for life with that thing. Like, I never found a better sounding one. So Nice. Well, um, and you managed, the, the real, the remarkable thing is that you managed to not get it stolen all, all that time. That's, uh, or, you know. Cause, uh, true. And, and. It weighs a ton, right? Like, I've messed up my back. Like, you know how heavy those things are from that era. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so what happened was I met a, uh, uh, 
actually a history teacher at my high school who was known for being a punk, right? Like the punk, the punk singer, history teacher. Mm-hmm. Met him at the store. This is like the summer before my sophomore year. I told him I, I told him I had a bass, and he like I got to be friends with him. His brother played guitar, and we formed a band. And um, that's my first band. Those guys really like taught me how to play. Like a guitar playing brother showed me, you know, basics. And uh, I just I, I took it from there. So I was in I was in that band in high school uh, until my senior year, where I joined the rival high school band. And then at the end of high school, I just put down the bass, and um, I was like, well, if I end up uh, with a good offer, I'll play. But I, I was not the type to like scour you know, the recycler for people to play with, you know, um, and then yeah, cut to like me joining my girlfriend's band later on. And, uh, you know, that's how that happened. Oh, okay. But wasn't there, weren't you in the, in the band, uh, the, uh, the Visqueens at some point? Oh, uh, that was, uh, that, that was later. That was, uh, in the early two thousands. I, I filled in. Yeah. Um, yeah, this queen, their bass player was, uh, Kim from the Fastbacks was in that band and she quit. And I, uh, I filled in, I filled in. Um, Right before the Muffs, though, I tried out for the Lazy Cowgirls. That actually got me to pick up the bass. Um, Annie, you might remember the Lazy Cowgirls. Um, yeah, it sounds familiar. What year was that? That would have been like uh, 90. They, they were big in L.A., like kind of you know, 87 to okay, yeah. 91. You know, they would uh, you know, headline the music machine and stuff. They're a rock band. But the rhythm section had quit on tour, and I, I said to like, which is Kim and Melanie and her husband Larry, like, should I try out for the Cowgirls? So I did. But the thing is, they strung me along so long. By that time, Kim quit the Kim quit the Pandoras and we formed the Muffs. So uh, I actually did the tryout for Lazy Cowgirls and they turned me down. So um, oh, they're lost, <laughs> man. So so you start the Muffs. You guys uh, immediately have people going, oh wow, this is a great band. We did three gigs in one month and and and. Basically, all those clubs just asked us back immediately, you know, to open. We weren't we weren't headlining or anything, but you know, uh, they were asking us to open Tuesday nights and all that. You know, just, we actually booked a little West Coast tour. You know, we it was only like three cities, but um, yeah. And by that end of that year, we were talking to Warner Brothers, so it, it happened super quick. Um, and our and our A and R guy found us at the Coconut Teaser too, which is yeah. Okay, well, that's the nice thing about L.A. You know. Well, the coconut cheese, I never thought the sound was very good, but it always had an invite, inviting place for the people to just get really close to the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think A&R guys liked it, too, because, of course, they'd have all those bands on the bill. and they would be, They'd have the times in the ads, like, you know, the Muffs, 8.30, you know what I mean? You would know when people were playing. Right. Well, I play the coconut teaser, and one of the, one of the gigs I remember the most was that, you know, my show uh, that we did, uh, Two Free Stooges, we always had these girls dressed up as nurses as our backup dancers. And the one, one of those shows from the Coconut Teaser, we had uh, our backup dancers was John Frusciante, uh from the Chili Peppers and uh, what's his name from the Weirdos? Um, I forget his name right now, but... They were our backup dancers, and it was the most hilarious show ever. Dressed as nurses. Was, I remember your band. Yeah, dressed as nurses, yes. Yeah, well, back in that day, L.A., there were a lot of bands with, like, eight members, and somebody would have a whip, and somebody would be wearing a horse's head or something. Right. 
<laughs> well, I remember that there was that one band, Dread Zeppelin. Remember Dread Zeppelin? Yes, yeah, yes. They, they played New Orleans, yeah. Yeah, they were actually very entertaining, but uh, I, we did a couple shows with them at Club Lingerie, but they weren't very friendly guys no. for some reason. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just competition or whatever, but I always thought they were fantastic, and I liked the whole idea, too. Yeah, they gave versions of, of Led Zeppelin songs. Somehow they made like three albums too, like with that. Yeah, album. yeah. <laughs> oh, can't can't Somebody get enough. Well, so Ronnie, the the Muffs are going. It's the early '90s. It's a it's a whole bunch of of uh, of great um, female fronted bands, and uh, you know people are still selling lots of records. And uh, you guys get to go out on tour, and you're touring the country, and I guess in the world with 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 all those kind of acts that must have been a heady time huh yeah yeah it, it, we we worked really hard we 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 you know unlike some of those acts to our credit at this point like we we didn't like we always kind of self-produced like kim didn't want to let, let the hands off the the reins of that and so our records don't sound of that time like we didn't hire fancy we didn't hire matt wallace to like mix something or right. you know what i mean like yeah. like, like um so for better or worse, um, you know, um, you know, we could have played the game a little, a little better, but you know, Kim didn't, Kim didn't have that in her. So, um, thank God we had the right A and R people and then like, you know, we're able to make three records on Warner brothers. I mean, it was a really great time. Like you hear all these like horror stories, like, Oh, the label wanted to hear hits and we had to do a million demos and, you know, paired us up with all these people. None of that happened with us. Like, you know, that said, we didn't get like, you know, huge commercial push or anything, but um, yeah, we were able to tour with with band, like you said, Veruca Salt. We did to Patinas with Veruca Salt. It's probably where you saw us. Um, yeah, it, it was a, and that would be a sweet gig too. When we'd open for a band like that because there'd be an opener and then there'd be us. By the time we'd come on, the whole crowd would be there, right? And they were captive, right? They weren't going to go anywhere, and uh, and we do it. We would we we excelled at that at that. What was spot. your favorite music video that you guys did? Um, well, we did. It's actually one that came later that a, that an animator made that we're not even physically in. It's called "Don't Pick on Me," um, and it's made like an old, like old timey '30s cartoon with like the the dastardly villain trying to kill Kim, and she keeps skirting him on and, the railroad tracks and stuff. Exactly. Like that. There's a railroad track scene. Uh, there's a safe falls on his head that's supposed to fall on her. <laughs> um, but we did, you know, on Warner Brothers, we did do that. We did a sixty thousand dollar video in '95 for a song called "Sad Tomorrow." Um, we we um, there's a Green Day kind of connection, like Green Day signed to, you know, Warner Brothers reprise after us because they liked our re our record and mm. our A and R guy signed them. And when they signed, they took our A and R guy, our, our producer, our, our our manager, our booking agent, um, you know, even our accountant. And, oh, wow. They really, yeah, really and then, trying and to follow your footsteps. They took your car. They took your car. They took my car. They got so attached. And that uh, leftover sandwich that was in your fridge that you really wanted to eat the next day. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. No. And and then they put out Dookie, which of course we know is a huge hit. And so so our second record got kind of a big push. Um, so we worked with their video director on that video. Um, good video, you know. It's not a, it's not that cheesy, um, even in retrospect. But um, yeah, that was fun. It was fun spending all that money, all that big major. 
you always hear, oh, you got to pay back that money. I always figured, like, well, if you're if you're close enough to paying back any kind of major label budget, then you're doing all right. Um, otherwise, you may as well use them as a bank. That's what I always figured. Sure, you know? or, or like for a loan that you will never repay. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and it's funny to think of it that long ago. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but you know, we had to make records in big studios. You know, um, so we had to record next to Eric Clapton at Ocean Way. You know? Right, like to make a record with like. It's like a rock record with no, you know. Well, yeah, that kind of that kind of reminds me of um, back. God, I think it was like 1988 or something like that. I was um, I had the fortunate, you know, uh, I was fortunate to meet Iggy Pop and become friends with him. And the last time I saw him was at his apartment in New York, and I said, "How things doing?" He said, well, you know, the album I did back in 1977 is finally in the black. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I said, oh, well, that's good, man. Good for you, man. <laughs> you know, so when you talk about, you know, just dealing with other people's money and just record companies' money, then, you know, exactly. It's like, that's what he did. It's like, well, you know, I'm living yeah. here in New York and uh, this album finally went in the black. So it's all gravy after that, for that album, at least, you know? Yeah, we, we, we paid back a lot of our first album because we had a song in a, in a Fruitopia commercial uh, for three oh, years in the okay. 90s. So that was, uh, yeah, back in the 90s, we got to write a lot of that stuff, like having songs in TV shows and movies. And, um, you know, and, and you'd actually get paid you know, a good chunk of money for that stuff back then. And, um in fact, our biggest hit, if you will, you know, is Kids in America from Clueless. Um, yes. Which went platinum, you know, so. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah bought, back when back when records would go platinum, you know. Yeah, ex- exactly. So I'd love to meet Kim Wilde because, you know, I know we bought her a house. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was so proud for my band back in the uh, 89, 90. We had an album that went vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, did you have major labels sniffing around the two three series, Manny? Uh, oh yeah, 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 plenty of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were sniffing around Alvarado Street looking for us. Right, right, <laughs> right off Alvarado right now. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. W- wiping their noses <laughs> on their sleeve. Um, well, uh, you know, I was looking at, at over some some of the uh, the encounters that you guys had with with, with different uh, people over the years, and and you know, one that jumped out just just uh, just tonight was Corla Pandit, and I thought, yes, wow, you know, Corla Pandit, the great organ player. I guess he used to be on TV at one time. He would stare unblinkingly into the the camera lens. How did you wind up having Corla Pandit on your record? Yeah, yeah, that's a good description, Renee. Yeah, anybody uh, look up Corla Pandit on, on YouTube and you'll find these clips. Yeah, he had a TV show in the 50s and he made these, you know, I, I hate to call it exotica, but I guess that's where he falls. Um, all these records on fantasy in the 60s. And um, yeah, he's a middle, well, we learned he wasn't really a Middle Eastern guy, but we didn't learn that until after he passed away. Um, but but yeah, he's a Middle Eastern guy that, that played, had this real, very like percussive uh, organ style. and um, Wore a turban, yeah. Or it's Urban stared at the camera like you know Susanna Hoffs, um, and, uh, and 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 yeah, we, we we were fans of his, and and God, I don't even remember how we thought like let's try to track him down, but we did, and um and um our engineer Brian uh, actually found a pandit in the phone book. This 
I'm talking old man again. Everybody's number used to be in a book that everyone would get for free. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, we found, like, I think his name was John Pandit and, uh, you know, uh, Matthew Corla's son. And then, um, yeah, Corla had not been working in a long time at that point. So he showed up at the studio, was dressed in a suit with the turban. With the turban. With the turban, of nice, course. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's film of this encounter, and the, there's a documentary which is not streaming anywhere, but it's called Corla. And um, me and Kim are interviewed in it. And there's some of that, some footage from the studio uh, when he recorded with us in that film. But yeah, he said all these words of wisdom, and we got him to do this kind of in between song bit, and um, to actually play on a song. And yeah, that was quite a, uh, quite quite a catch. Yeah, man, um, no kidding. That's... I thought, even though, yeah, yeah. And then after that, he got to ride that Exotica, you know, resurgence in the '90s. Until he died, you know, he made a couple of records and. You know, we'll celebrate it at the end of his life. Right. So that's good. Yeah, that's always nice. Well, Manny, I'm looking at the clock, and it seems like a good time to take a little break, don't you think? Yeah. Hey, man, uh, Ronnie, we always uh, take a little libation break. Uh, you can go use the toilet or go make yourself a libation or uh, take a uh, hit of flaca if you want. <laughs> uh, and we'll be in a troubled nation. Right knows exactly what to do so uh renee uh, uh we'll be right back Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Ronnie Barnett. Now, uh, again, we have our, our new sponsor on board, which is the uh, the ninth annual Big Island Jazz and Blues Festival coming up here oh. in, uh, in Hawaii. It's uh, uh, happening on on uh, June the fourth there at the the Mauna Kea. Uh, what is it? Uh, Mauna Kea Beach Hotel. So uh, you know, it's it's going to be a terrific uh show there they have uh, uh the iguanas as well as uh, great skip martin from the daz band and cool and the gang we have uh, uh dale spaulding who oddly enough is just 
coincidentally is our guest next week, Manny. So Dale Spaulding from Canned Who? Heat. Dale Spaulding. <laughs> canned Heat? Canned Heat, yes. Uh, Dale Spaulding from Canned They're Heat. They're still around? They are still around. Not <laughs> not everybody, but but some of the guys are, you know. We, uh, but so, so how much of the gang is with Cool still? I mean, I, how know, much I, original members? I, I, I don't know, Manny. Um, uh, I think that bass player is the original guy, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about all that. But uh, Skip Martin, the trumpet player and singer, will be there. At, uh, at the Big Island Jazz and Blues Festival, along with uh, Cajun artist Wayne Toops and uh, uh, um, Indian Chief and great jazz saxophone player Donald Harrison. So uh, we're oh, wait a minute. Can Heat had a horn player? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, uh, Donald Harrison does not play with Can Heat. Can Heat is not going oh. to be at the Big Island Jazz and Blues Festival. That will be Dale Spaulding. Okay, so right, wait, uh, wait, wait. Dale Spaulding was with Can Heat, though, right? Isn't that what you just said? Yes, he play. He still plays with Can Heat, and he will be at the Big Island Jazz and Blues Festival. So, so what is he doing there? Is he just emceeing? Does he have his own new band or something? No, he'll be playing. He's a, a front man. He'll be singing and playing harmonica. The iguanas will be backing him up. He's a close friend of ours as well. He lives in New Orleans currently. And uh, but he's from Downey, California, and we can uh, actually talk about all this in detail with Dale next week. And you know, so are you going to be doing Can Heat songs with him? We may do a <laughs> Can Heat song or two. Yes, I've I have I've played Can Heat songs with him. Yeah, yeah. We we uh, we do a very convincing uh, interpretation of of those songs, backing Dale up. So that'll be something exciting going on there, June fourth at the Mauna Kea Beach Resort, and. Uh, you know, coming up, uh, as I mentioned, we have the Iguanas and uh, Kevin Gordon uh, Midwest Tour that's starting in Nashville on March 31st and continuing through uh, April 9th in, uh, I think that last date is in Memphis. So you can find all that at uh, all those dates at uh, iguanas.com. And uh, you can find all the other information about the Big Island Jazz and Blues Festival at, check this out, BigIslandJazzAndBluesFestival.com. So it's a... It's a it's so a, they're a sponsor of us? They're a sponsor of the, <laughs> of the podcast. But we still do have the uh, Loose Change as our, as our backup sponsor. And for all of you that have some Loose Change and want to support the podcast directly... Uh, we have the uh, the PayPal link and the uh, the Venmo link there in the show notes and the Facebook page, and uh, we also have links for our social media, Facebook and and uh, Instagram, Twitter, and also have links there in the Facebook page for the Troubled Men podcast T-shirts. And uh, and you you asked about the stickers last week, Manny. I uh, I reordered the stickers, so we're gonna have those Troubled Men podcast stickers with, uh, with a, a little updated design that's uh, going to uh, contain a QR code. And I'm, I, I don't need to explain to you what that is, but uh, you'll, you'll see. I what, don't know what that I is. I know you don't, but, uh, but uh, you will see when, when I, I hand you the, the, the new uh, uh, print of the stickers. So <laughs> I think that's about it for that. So back to our terrific guest, Mr. Ronnie Barnett. Now, Ronnie, um, during the break here, uh, I got a, a little note from the home office, and they said that I should ask you about uh, the plaster casters. Apparently, that you had a, a, a I didn't realize they were still in, in operation, but uh, apparently you, you had a, 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 some contact with them. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, you know it's true, and and I for some reason I don't get asked about this very often because uh, but yeah, the, the, the plaster, Cynthia Plastercaster, the Plastercasters of Chicago, the famous groupies, who, uh, the Plastercaster Jimi Hendrix's. Dick. Can I say Dick? Sure. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. did. Uh, famous, the famous groupies uh, that make casts of, of rock stars and in, in quotation marks dicks. Uh-huh. Uh, she asked me to do it on our. Our very first tour, so it was 1993. Like, it was actually the week before the album came out. We were playing the Metro with the Goo Goo Dolls, who were a rock band at the time. Um, and and uh, if you've been to that venue, there's a, there's a place called the Smart Bar at the bottom that stays open until 4 a.m. where you go after you play. And um, Kim comes running upstairs. She's like, Ronnie, Cynthia Plastercaster's downstairs. I've been talking up your dick. <laughs> And uh, so, <laughs> I was going to so, ask you what Kim thought about it, but obviously she was excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, she she laid, laid the groundwork there, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, and um, yeah, so I walked downstairs, and there's Cynthia uh, with her lawyer, who um, is this guy Santiago Durango, who was in the band Big Black. And they looked me up and down. It was like it was like I was a cartoon character. My body turned into like a steak. Like <laughs> they're looking me up and down, right? Like and, and just sizing me up, so to speak. And um. Yeah, Cynthia's like, uh, I'd love to cast you. Um, uh, I don't have my kit right now because it was in litigation with, with Frank Zappa's manager. She had given, in the 70s, she had given like her cast and the, and the things to make them uh, to him for safekeeping. So cut to like 19, early 90s, he wasn't giving the stuff back. So she couldn't take him to court. And, oh, jeez. Um, she did get him back. So I agreed to do it. And um and here's the thing too, like she has to like be a fan of, of you to want to do it. Like she doesn't just collect people, you know, like Kiss wrote a song called Plastercaster, but no, nobody kisses Plastercaster. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, so you mentioned us touring a lot. So three months later we were back playing a club called the Lounge Axe. Um, and she showed up and she's like, uh, well, if you stole our game, I'm ready to do it. And so I couldn't say no. Right. Um, uh, it's not something I normally do, but but she's one of the most famous groupies of all time, right? Sure. So, um, so yeah, I went. We went back to her apartment, um, and her apartment has all these phallic things, like like Empire State Building lamps and and and, and stuff. Like she's really into to to dicks. Okay, like really into it. And I, and I, so, but I, anyway, when it came time to do it, it's very clinical. Like she she puts on the same shirt. Um, with this kind of material attached to it, she sniffs it, and it turns. She's like, "This was Keith Moon's pant leg when I attempted to do him." And she's like, "You want to sniff it?" And of course, I did. I sniffed Keith Moon's pant leg, right? And um, <laughs> and anyway, she she starts. She oils me up so you don't stick in the stuff. I'll try to make this brief. Um, because Jimmy's stuck in it. And he lost a bunch of pubic hair and stuff. And um, so she oils me up, and then she's like, "You might want to start beating off now, right?" So she, then she gets on her knees. Where she's mixing what it is, it's it's the stuff that Dennis used to make impressions of your teeth, like alginate or whatever. Um, so she's mixing it up, and basically she's mixing it in like a you know when you go shake at Denny's and you get that little extra metal part, that right, metal cup. Right. So so it's that, and I'm trying to jack off as best I can, right? And then all of a sudden she's like, "Okay, it's time." So you go. So I went into this very cold mix. Um, and to get a good specimen, you got you're supposed to stay hard in there for for like a minute. Well, um, I dare anyone to try do to do this because um, it's not it doesn't feel you can't feel if you're hard or soft or whatever. Right, right. Anyway, to to make a long story short, she 
after, after she, you make the impression, she pours the plaster in and it sits for 24 hours. So um, I called her the next night. I'm like, how did it come out? She's like, well, I think it's just darling. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> and what not happened? Good. That's yeah, not right, good. right. So no, what had happened was I softened in the mold, so so it curls around. Uh-huh. Uh She likes it, and she takes me out on her spoken word gigs, and uh, you know, I'm in the movie. Like, do you get a copy? You know, I I chose. I could have. I I. I I don't have a copy, but right, right. We'll you know, you now. have your dick still. You have the original. Yeah, yeah, true, yeah. true. It, it is, it is out there. Like, like as an extra on the DVD, like it's got all the dicks with like a, you know, a purple backdrop, and you can just watch my dick just spin around like all night if you wish. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so anyway. Well, that's um, definitely a first for the Trouble Men podcast, Ronnie. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> and 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 I'm guessing the well, last that uh, unless Manny well, has something know. to disclose. Well, you know, Ronnie, there was a time, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s, and even Rolling Stone wrote an article about it when the Orange County scene uh, was really big. Uh, there was a lot of bands, you know, there was, um, you know, uh, Sublime and all those bands and stuff like that. And they were having these um, rock and roll parties and, you know, Orange County is a lot of wealthy people down there, white wealthy people. They're having a lot of pool parties with bands playing. The parents are like, you know, in Aspen and the kids are having gigs and stuff. And a big thing that was going on there, and I happened to go to one of those parties, was um, uh, a plaster of Paris uh, boob uh, sculptures where uh, all, so many girls would just take off their tops and their bras and get get uh, a molds uh, plaster parrot molds of their yes. boobs and that was <laughs> huge you remember that yeah I, I mean i vaguely remember that yeah cynthia ended up kind of doing boobs trying to do boobs too like a little later on like late like i think she did Susie from l7 and um yeah but not kim. kim kim wasn't looking to get that done not Ken, yeah, she didn't ask Ken. Yeah, that's okay. a good. That's a good. Well, who's I, the I don't girl really from L Seven who pulled out her tampon in the middle of a gig? What was that? Was Kim, oh, yeah, wasn't that was, it? No, no, that was Danita. That was Danita. Oh, it was uh, Danita. Yeah. yeah, that was a great <laughs> gig. Yeah, no, they, they get asked about that in every interview still. So you know, made an impression. Yeah, yeah, literally, right? I like the yeah. wordplay, Ronnie. <laughs> well, well, you guys, uh, uh, Muffs had had a, a a lot of these these uh, interesting encounters with people. Uh, um, there was like some kind of uh, Ronnie Specter uh, uh, association, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we, uh, we 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 played with Ronnie uh, uh, quite a few times over the years, but the very first time was in '97. Uh, 97 no 98 and um because we were between records and we got a, we got a call like from the viper room like um ronnie specter has requested that you open for her you know would you like it and we we're like of course like she hadn't played la in many years at that point and um that's the sound check we met her she's very nice and um i was like i gotta ask like how do you know you know of our band like how, how did this happen and um she's like well um i told joey Ramon, I was co- I was playing L.A. and he said, "Oh, well, you have to have the mops open then." Nice. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so because Joey Ramon was a Muffs fan, I love it. Yeah, yeah, no. And before that, Dee Ramon, uh, we played Holland, and, and I remember Roy, our drummer, came back. He's like, "Dee Ramon's back here. He wants to come backstage." I'm like, "Let him the fuck back here!" Like, what do you, what do you, what do you? Of course, <laughs> you don't have to ask. Yeah, and, 
Didi walked in, and this is the best quote of all time. He said, like, your first two albums got me through rehab. Nice. Um, yeah, which was an amazing compliment. Your third album made him relapse, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, by the time it came out. Yeah, I had two at the time, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. That that was pretty. That was pretty cool too. And um, and there was also a time where I was like at CMJ and like Joey and Didi were in the same room, but they weren't talking to each other, but they were talking both talking to me, <laughs> like about each other. It was very <laughs> odd. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Coincidentally, uh, w- when I asked you to be on the show, it's just you know from your 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 whole terrific career. But you actually have a new release coming out uh, in in on uh, April twenty third, and tell us about that. Yeah, um, actually, there's there's two things. Um, basically, in May, our album from twenty four called "Really Really Happy" is getting reissued. It's like a two CD set, and and you know, on vinyl with a seven inch. But but when when we we're looking, this is the first thing we've done uh, post Kim not being here, right? So so. Um, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't have a way to kind of go through her stuff at this point, and um, I was wondering what to do about about extras. And um, I was always kind of the, the technically uh, deficient member, right? So Kim would always have to make me CDRs of demos and stuff. And um, when I was digging around, I found that right before we recorded the record, um, she made me a seventeen song disc of all the demos we of all the songs we were going to record, and and Kim. Kim's demos were really good at this point. Like, like she uh, would cut together drum existing drum tracks, and 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 she really put a lot of work into them. Um, and so I found this thing, and so that's disc two of the CD set for Really Really Happy. But on Record Store Day on April twenty third, it's coming out as a vinyl release. Um, so yeah, I always wanted to kind of. I, I remember, I, like I said, I always loved her demos, and I always wanted to kind of put something together, like a Pete Townsend scoop, you know, like like with all the good demos uh-huh. um this isn't you know this is all dedicated to one album so it's not exactly what i envisioned but it, it's very cool to uh to see this happen and um yeah our, our reissue campaign continues uh so nice nice very old. nice to so the folks at omnivore yeah to stick by us and still keep doing this so yeah those guys put out some some terrific stuff man they have it seems like they have great taste and uh and man it's 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 great that 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 stuff can see the light of day and you know still uh you know kind of keeps kim's legacy alive you know that uh you know she's she's not here with yeah. us in 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 person but uh you know all that all that great work her energy all those those great songs are uh you know still still getting to the people no no absolutely like 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 she got a lot of press when she passed away which which really was amazing and and like i when i eulogized her at her funeral i mentioned that like elvis costello posted something about her praising her songwriting and like the who put us up on their screens at the hollywood bowl and I said, uh, I don't know where all these motherfuckers were when they were taking us for granted, but uh, yeah. it was nice to see. We got a good laugh. Yeah, yeah, but, it, but it's nice. It was nice to see that. It's nice to see it you know, continue at whatever level it is. You know, we're not we're not like a you know a band everybody knows, but we have this kind of mid level career that we really rode out for almost thirty years. You know, so yeah, and and what a, what a great band. And like you were saying, you know, it, the those records that that you know you made in the 90s they they don't sound you know they didn't have the stamp of that it it really is kind of timeless because it's it's punk rock and it's coming from you know uh, uh 
Kim and your aesthetic, and you know, of course, not to forget uh, Roy McDonald, your drummer. You know, that's uh, you know what what a, what Absolutely. a great what a great trio, man. Thanks. Those records never went out of print too, which is quite astounding because like all the kind of bands like us, if you will, that were on the label, that like Mud Honey and Babes in Toyland, all those records are out of print. You know, like um, so I don't know it's amazing. Yeah, man. We go for that kind of career, right? We're still able to go to Japan and like we went to we went to um, South America. You know, our last shows were in South America, um, and uh, yeah. So, thank you for noticing, Renee. Thank you. Oh no, no. I've uh, like I said, I, I've been a fan. You know, and I and I saw right before lockdown. Um, it was you know Kim had just passed and and I was seeing these posts about uh, like a big tribute show that was being planned in in LA and it was you know all these terrific people you know I think uh, you know some former guests uh, you know Vicky Peterson was going to be on it and and uh, you know I was thinking man boy I yeah. sure sure would love to make it to that well you know another person i know we have in common is uh willie aaron i think he was probably going to be on that that thing as well and i saw a picture of you buying uh girl scout cookies from <laughs> willie aaron from uh, the yes, balancing uh, act and a million other bands yeah no willie's one of the he's he's great as you know yeah no i see willie uh regularly at the store and uh yeah he was my girl scout cookie connection for a while yeah um those girls grew up yeah sadly for me nice nice it's so funny how you know it, we have all these these people in common well i mentioned to you that chuck prophet says you know rock and roll college only has about two thousand people in it and if you stay in the biz long enough you eventually get to know everybody <laughs> it's true it's definitely true yeah it's like well it's just like a, even a big city like los angeles you kind of like you know there's a scene and it's very insular it's not you know even though there's however million million people here you know there's still there are people that you're smoking weed with in back of rogers you know what i mean right right so, and then, then I also saw recently a picture you just you just put up that was uh, uh, the Muffs playing, and you're saying this is the 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 gig when XTC and the Cowsills joined our band, and it was a picture, and Susan Cowsill is standing there in the picture who I play with in her band now. Yeah. Oh, great. No, Susan's great, right? Like, yeah, yeah. No, that that's true. Another another formal former guest of you guys. Um, yep. Yeah, I remember. We asked Susan to do it just kind of at that rehearsal, right? And um, I remember Kim goes, Ronnie's creaming in his pants about this. Like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> even it was true. You know what I mean? Uh, you know. Right. Anyway, yeah, Susan, what a talent. That's great, Renee. Yeah, well, next time you're in town, you know, we'll definitely meet you know, in person. So. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I hope, hope to get out there before too long here now that things are, are moving moving in that direction opening up and uh and you were saying that you had a, a, a big uh new orleans connection as a child that even though you lived in houston that you had close friends here and that you came to new orleans a lot huh it, it's true yeah, yeah my parents my parents best friends lived uh in new orleans so on the in the saint bernard parish correct me if i'm wrong on any of this uh it's called araby right right um, yeah yeah araby yeah yeah so they they lived out there i used to go to tape city um that's uh, the rape capital of the state, Araby. It is? I don't know. It's the first <laughs> I've heard of that. Manny, Manny likes to say things, whether they're true or not. Uh, you know, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Well, good, thing I, uh, good thing I was safe, because um, I, I used to ride the bus by myself to the French Quarter, like at age 12 and 13, 
and uh, go to my favorite place on earth still, Sydney's newsstand, and um, and you know, get beignets across the street and get a muffaletta, and you know, Barks root beer, and yeah, and then yeah, my parents. I grew up a rich kid. I got that over with early in life, but um, okay, yeah. So so the the the, the family friends were were rich too. They, we ate well, you know, and um. Yeah, I used to I used to go to Chris the original Chris's Steakhouse, you know, when Ruth would serve us. Okay. Uh, like Popeye's chicken was special then. It was only in New Orleans, you know what I mean? Right. Like, um that was a great that was a great time. Very fond memories of New Orleans. What's your favorite Mexican restaurant in LA? Um Well, you know, it, it used to be El Compadre. Maybe it's been a, a this place Mexican Village, which is on Silver Lake Boulevard near the freeway. Mm-hmm. Um now is Rhino Records still on Westwood Boulevard? The first shop is that still no, there? No, no, they're long gone. They're long gone. Uh, yeah, how long ago was that? Because I used to go there every, you know, every fucking weekend in yeah, high school. No. Uh, well, they at the end of their. When did you move from LA? When did I move away from LA? Yeah, when did you move away from LA? Two thousand. Okay. Yeah, it would have been. They, they changed locations like sometime around like oh two oh three like okay. set, still on Westwood Boulevard but down the street the place just not, did not have the vibe um, and it only lasted like about two years later so they probably closed in about oh six something like that um, yeah but they had their they had their big company headquarters like off of Pico I remember Pico and Olympic or something I, if I remember. Yeah, you know yeah, the, the label, yeah. Yeah, you know, they, they moved you know, the original location of the label was at the at the original record surplus location. Like if you early yeah. records have that address, it was like their warehouse. So there was a there was a Rhino record surplus collection or connection early on. Um but yeah, they closed about then. you know, Aaron's closed probably about twenty ten. Um yeah, yeah, all these all these are gone. Sad. Oh like well, record Tower day. Records closed a long time ago. Yeah, it was probably around then too, like like around you know oh nine ten something. Because like I've been watching, I've been watching. Uh, I don't know if you watch a lot of TV, but they have this uh, uh, Pamela Anderson, Tommy uh, from the Motley Crude uh, little mini series. Yes, and and they try they're trying to remake the late eighties, early nineties in LA, and they're doing a really good job of doing it because they have. They have Tower Records on Sunset, which, you know, uh, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. It's it's really amazing. I don't know if you've seen this series, but it's, yeah, it's actually no, wait- pretty entertaining, entertaining. No, I can't wait to see it, man. But but I'm waiting for all the episodes to, to drop, if you will, so I can rent Hulu again. Like, I don't, ha- I don't have Hulu regularly, so they're kind of putting them out one a week. So I'm waiting. They're probably all out now. But, um, you know, that Tower, actually, it... it when the Tower documentary came out, they actually repainted that location. Yeah, at Tower Records, and it stood until just re- until like a month ago. Um, yeah, they gutted the building. They're keeping the framework, but they gutted the building, so it's gonna it's gonna kind of look the same, but kind of look different. But you know, I you know the last time I was there, to be honest with you, was when Brian Wilson came out with his first solo record. Well, no, I don't know if it was first or but he came out with a record, and me and my buddy waited in line for like hours to get him to sign, you know, the album. And my buddy was uh, Tony Rugula, who's Pete Rugula's son. 
Yeah, who, the question. Yeah, Tony Rugler from the question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but but Pete was his dad, who who was the arranger for the four freshmen, who Brian Wilson was in love with the four right. freshmen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 you know, Tony Rugler stole Kim's bass when she was in the Pandoras. You know that story. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's all connected. I guarantee, I guarantee you, it wasn't for drugs. It was probably for food. I, I, well, I don't want to speculate, uh, but it, it was in, it was in probably '87, something like that, and um, they they rehearsed the same place for a while, and um, yeah, he stole her bass and sold it to Norwood from Fish Fishbone, <laughs> so it was very easily traceable, right? She got it back. He made amends to her later, uh, you know, uh, a few years later after he got sober. I think he was, I think he might have been a little messed up at the time. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. Well, t- yeah, Tony. Um, Tony was a privileged kid. His dad was Pete Rugula. He grew up like, you know, north of Sunset in Bel Air. And then Tony's dad made a hor- you know, made bad investments and he got broke and they moved to Van Nuys. Ah. You know, they were living in like a three bedroom apartment in Van Nuys and Tony went from being a rich kid to a very poor kid. And his dad was still thought of as being such a brilliant talent, but Tony never reap that so i could see that i could see that totally tony ripping off her face <laughs> you know because uh, you know that was tony and tony was you know he liked you know if he was going to do something he was going to do it all if it was going to be uh, a pizza he was going to eat four pizzas if it was going to be speed he was going to you know you know two ounces of speed or whatever yeah it was yeah. going to be if it was going to be you know a beer it was going to be a cake it wasn't going to be a bottle that was tony but i've heard he's got his life together and uh, he the question has actually actually done some reunion shows in the past few years yeah they're doing the, there's a mod the mod i hit has it's called a festival there's a two-day mod event here in la in june and yeah the question's on the bill so yeah they were a good band i went to high school with all those guys with david white and um uh, Tony, I went. To, you know, we that was a scene. It was a very good scene for a while. You know, maybe we'll have to get him on the show, Manny. Well, I've tried to get Tony on the show, but he, apparently he's so clean and sober he doesn't want to come on the show. Yeah, well, you know, we we have had guests come on who are uh, clean and sober, and after they they make an appearance, they relapse. So I I, I get his uh, his concern. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's that's happened to more yeah. than one person, man. We make it sound good. It's uh anyway, um, so we we don't have we hope that doesn't happen to you, Ronnie. But uh, again, thank you so much, Ronnie. It's been a, a real treat to talk to you, and and uh, I can't wait to see you in person. And uh, as always on the Trouble Men podcast, we like to say trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. A little weirdo wasted.